friends. Hey guys. We're back. How are you doing, Nish? How are you doing, Kaden? I asked you first. We locked eyes just now, and I really wish you guys were there for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I'm doing well. I have transparent glasses now. Um, my birthday dinner was fantastic. You guys are still invited. Right. For next year. For right now. It's oh, right now. Yes. Come find us where we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, we miss you guys. We're, we're sorry that we've been away, but we also want to produce genuine and sincere content for you guys. Yes. That is actually 100% true. How was your day, Caden? Um, my day has been great, actually. I've seen some of my favorite people, including you, <laughs> today. Caden really has me crying at any given moment. <laughs> we hope everyone's dry today. No, actually, watch out for the weather or whatever. Dude, we would make really sexy meteorologists. You think so? This is my theory. I think I'd be such a good meteorologist. <laughs> One, because I'm a pathological liar. I'd be like, you see that shit? That shit's fucking sun that's literally all meteorologists do is they lie i feel like we've both been hurt yes and you know it's a green screen yeah and okay I'll... i'm sorry but they're powerful the fact that they get they know where like nevada is in a green screen yeah anyway we have an episode for you guys <laughs> yes we do have an episode for you guys um so i have been in a moral epiphany and moral dilemma you're fine we often have background noise and I think that adds to the experience. Also, it makes it easier if you guys try to track us down. Yes. I don't know why we're acting like we so don't live at the Nug. Guess where we are today. We're not at our usual location. We're not. It's a secret, not so secret place. We're in a treehouse. Yes. I've always wanted a treehouse. A treehouse that's not even in a tree, nor is it a house. It's a it, concrete jungle. Yes. Or dreams are made of. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we have an episode for you guys today I'm that... I'm so glad you caught that. We're so... I know, we're on the same wavelength all the time. Where we wanted to talk about morality. Um, Nish, uh, do you want to start the conversation? Take this bad boy off? Yeah. Indeed I do. So I, as of recently, have been in this predicament where I worry that I'm on the wrong side of morality and I'm worried that I'm on the wrong side of truth. And so part of this has to do with the work that I've been doing and it goes into like like legal litigation. It goes into like pursuing my dreams, but it also goes into taking what was previously like black and white and taking what was previously written on paper and adding nuance to it and adding emotion and adding testimony and then going back on all of that and saying, I'm going to present the facts to 12 people and to a judge and I'm going to leave it there and wondering how my conscience is holding up under that. And it's been difficult, and it's been really enlightening. And I think a lot of it comes back to the fact How so? that... I think enlightening in that, like, morality isn't fixed. They're, and I think philosophers try to do this for a really long time. I think philosophers are noble people on an impossible quest, but they're also people who leave things the minute they're no longer true. And it's really difficult, because we know when something stops being true, we know when it stops being concrete we know when it stops being genuine and then we kind of close our eyes and we pretend and we wish that it still was and we hold on to it and so I think to give up a truth that is no longer true for you is really respectable at the same time it's just so subjective I think that's beautiful I think someone is screaming in the background right now a child it is not me did you know it's not illegal to scream it's not illegal I'm just gonna start screaming in places go for it (laughs) Um, Um, I think, Nish, you touched on a really interesting point. Um, And I think... That I love you. No, I love you more. 
That's, a, that's okay, the fact. But I love you, Moss. Beto O'Rourke. Liv Moss. <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell sponsor us. I um, love Beto O'Rourke, and he was so damn. <laughs> But Nish, you touched on a very interesting point, um, even with the title of our podcast, Inconvenient Truths, and this idea of wrestling with these concepts, these structures, and these realities that, you know, for so long we hold dear to our heart because that's what we've been told is right and what is correct. Um, And I think... If you didn't know, Nish and I are both pre-law students. And I think something we realize as pre-law students and students who've had experience working in the legal field and students who've had experience working in political, you know, arenas, Mm -hmm. that truth, morality, and the sense of right are very, very amorphous and Mm context-dependent. And that's a very challenging reality to come to terms with right um and you said something before we started recording right Uh, we mentioned you know an issue that i've been thinking about uh for the past week or so that does raise a few moral quandaries um and you mentioned how it's so challenging to decide and define what is right what is wrong when there are billions gajillions trajillions i just made up numbers yes i did <laughs> of factors nuances okay but math people made up imaginary numbers and now we have to pretend that shit's yes. real chemistry's fake Fuck i'm a sorry bitch named I. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it's just like it's convenience it always comes down to convenience. It always comes down to convenience. It comes down to standing up for one cause because your identity is rooted in it. I think we see that in a lot of people of color mm. who rally for their own causes. And I think a lot of the times they don't realize they're doing this, but like, I'm going to go ahead and accuse the Muslim community of this. We will double down against Islamophobia and then we perpetuate anti-blackness. We perpetuate oh, wow. colorism. We perpetuate like things that the prophet would have never encouraged mm-hmm. in the community because it's easy it's easy to hold up your shield to fend for yourself and it's even easier to get closer to the goal that you want by stepping on someone else's neck is morality inherently selfish i think humans are i think evolution is selfish i think that all the creationists about to hit my dms (laughs) i've been trying to have that conversation um i think we're told that selfishness is bad I don't think it is. Um, I don't know. I was reading... So I've, I've been reading Western philosophy for once in my life. We kind of have some, like, vibes yeah, coming in, you know? Yeah, we have some music know? going on. I'm with it. <laughs> I'm about it. Um, but I was reading... So I've been reading Rousseau and Mill, right? For, like, a mm, super introductory I class. I Rousseau. I really enjoy his work. I think the man is egocentrical as hell. Mm-hmm. I think he wrote three self like autobiographies I said self-autobiography as if like that didn't PEMDAS each other out um and I think at the end of the day he thought he was doing something good for the people around him by writing the things he did but what impresses me about Mill is that he writes in one of his pieces like any man woman or child with appropriate faculties could come to the conclusions that I did and you think okay like he's one of he's one of the boys you know like relatable quirky girl and then you read about his life and you read how he learned Greek at two and how he finished all of Plato by ten. And I think true genius is so humble. And 
And I think true genius is admitting you don't know things. I think the only concrete is change. And the minute you accept that, like the minute you accept the amount of your life that is spent in the gray area, not only spent in the gray area, but cherishing the gray area. Mm-hmm. And it comes to like immorality, right? It's so like the first case that I worked with had to do with sexual assault. And it strikes really deeply because I'm a woman. And the one thing my professor told me is when you're picking a jury, the two things that you struggle with are putting a reverend on your jury and putting a woman on a sexual assault case because you don't know how their morality will dictate their change. And I think it's difficult empathizing properly because we're not taught how to. My train of thought, like, deterred massively. It's like okay. that, like, scene in, like, Sharkboy and Lava Girl where, like, okay. George Lopez undermines <laughs> the integrity of the yeah. institution. Yeah. But point being, I think it's really hard looking at someone else. And and you don't have to say this, and that's why it's a little easier, but, like, your truth and your reality and your oppression and your pain is, quite frankly, inconvenient to me. Yeah. And yeah. we see that in so many places. So... I actually was having a really interesting conversation with Shiva yesterday. Shiv, Shiv is not here, guys. Shivington. Shivington is not here, but we're going to shout her out. Um, I shout Shiv, her out every night before I go to sleep. <laughs> Shiv, we love you, as always. We uh, miss you. But we had a very interesting conversation, or I had an interesting conversation with Shiv yesterday. And we were talking about the Israel and Palestine I'm not even going to call it a conflict because it's not a conflict. Conflict implies that both sides have equal footing. And that's not the case. Shout and I'm out just, to SJP for teaching us that. Shout out to SJP. Um, we're going to call it the Israel and Palestine situation. Is, I do think you think the situation that, is fair. Do you think the simple situation is fair? I think that conflict has a certain level of accuracy yes at the same time like almost every issue that we use to describe violence is like inherently either yes. like downplaying it or making it seem yes equal. yes but to let us know dm us what you think we should call yes. it by the way yes we want to know that actually but let's go with conflict for now oh, let's go with conflict for now just for sake of terminology mm-hmm. um but we were having a conversation about the conflict and One interesting point that was brought up is that every time that someone who is pro-Palestine mentions this idea that Israel does not have the right to exist, Mm -hmm. they're immediately called Mm anti-Semitic, right? Um, And immediately the argument that is raised is this idea that the Jewish people, wherever they go, anywhere in the world, they are irrefutably... Uh, demonized, they are irrefutably dehumanized, and they are irrefutably um, uh, uh, oppressed. Um, but my point to that is kind of going off what you said, is that yes, we are all in our own ways facing these privileges and these these oppressive you know forces that are acting against us. Um, but is it okay for us to not pay attention to the struggle of the people that we may be oppressing for the sake of safeguarding the identity that we hold close. I think people have always been crying out in pain and in suffering and in oppression and in occupation. And we have very recently 
handed them the microphone. But for people who say that you are selfish for not caring about humanitarian causes, there's always been pain in the world. You're just more privy to it, you know? So I personally feel that it's difficult to wake up every morning and remember that Kashmir is being occupied and that Palestine is being occupied and that Yemen is being bombed to the ground and that the Rohingya are being silenced and Mm -hmm. exterminated Mm -hmm. and that the Uyghur Muslims are being forgotten. Yes. It's difficult. And it's hard to carry that burden with you because... I mean, I, I think as people, we struggle to carry our own burdens to sort yes. out our own identities. Yes. But America has this really interesting first world privilege, and I talked about this with my friend recently, where we encourage empathy with no action. And Amen. so we say, be considerate, be woke, retweet these things on yeah. your timeline. Yeah. Do not reach out to your representatives. Do not look for long-term change. Yeah. Let that pain occupy you. And it's how the colonizer wins, and it's how yeah. the oppressor wins. Let that pain consume you. So much so that you're crippled into not doing anything else. And I think on some level, academia, mm-hmm. the field and the, you know, the entire structure, the institution of academia is horrible at this, right? Mm-hmm. We spend so much time learning about how systems of power work as poli-sci majors, right? I always say as a poli-sci major, you're learning two things. You're learning how power is obtained and you're learning how to maintain power. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, that's that's the basis of it, right? And that's what the question every philosopher is looking to answer. Exactly. Where did inequality come from? How do we balance it out? But more importantly, how do we keep inequality in our favor? Exactly. And I think on some level, academia does this thing where we're learning about, like, Orientalism, for example. We're learning God, about... God, I love Orientalism. Sorry, contractor. If you're listening, come to my birthday. We don't love Orientalism. <laughs> we spit in the face of Orientalism. Um, but... I think somewhere Edward Said is rolling into his grave. For everyone who doesn't know, Orientalism is this notion that the West created the East, the Occident created the Orient, to be fetishized, otherwise degraded, and it comes down to this notion that you can't know yourself if yes. you don't know what you are not. Yes. And I think that's a beautiful and overarching idea but it also comes down to the fact that the east the orientals excuse my use of the word i don't really believe in using it anymore um that these people can't speak for themselves and it goes down to that Karl marx quote Mm -hmm. they cannot be represented so therefore they must be represented but to get to the overarching picture this idea that academia we learn about you know how these systems work and these institutions work And we're taught, like, hey, this is a wrong thing. What is happening in the world right now is a very, very wrong thing. But academia doesn't give us the tools, nor does it give us the push to want to go out into the real world and change it, right? I mean, even something as simple as how we write academic papers, right? They're desensitized. They're desensitized, and we write academic papers for academics, right? Look at the language. Like, when you read a paper that's one piece of paper Mm -hmm. and it is so dense it's made to baffle you it's made to baffle you and it's made to confuse the normal or the excuse me that was the layman the layman for lack of a better word but that's the thing like we're so conditioned to feel this way that we're so conditioned to lock ourselves away and you can see it in like the fucking memes you know like we talk about how business majors can't read more than four pages at the same time, like, what if you can get exactly what you want to say in four pages? Yeah. We're conditioned to believe that we are better than every other 
major yeah. because we're human and because our major teaches us how to think. Right. But at the end of the day, a lot of education is conditioning and brainwashing. Yeah. And yes, we know how to think. Right. But we know how to think in terms that serve those in power. And I think getting back to this larger discussion, I mean, <laughs> getting back to this larger discussion of morality, right? It's like, and I've talked to Nish about this so much. It's like, as someone who likes to learn for the sake of learning and someone who likes to read for the sake of reading, I have this moral dilemma that I'm always going you know, through where I'm like, I'm learning all this information, but I do not have the tools, nor are the people who are giving me these, the material to learn this information, giving me the tools to actually affect, affect, effectively change things, right? Sudan being a perfect example. When everyone was putting the blue, and I'm not criticizing the blue, the blue. Uh, it's okay to make your profile picture blue as long as you know why it's blue. Right. You're taking the steps, no matter how small, to bring action because otherwise it's performative activism. Right, and I think academia on some level breeds this idea of performative mm-hmm. act- activism, right? Like, we, you know, we make jokes about how, like, intellectual humor is, like, the quote-unquote, like, best humor because mm-hmm. it's, like, we love nerdy humor. But the thing is, nerdy humor is so problematic it's in the elite sense... It's elite as hell. It's elitist, and it's not doing anything. Yes, we can comment on capitalism and make jokes about capitalism all we want and the ills of capitalism, and we can quote Karl Marx. We you can quote shop Gramsci. At Forever 21. Yes, you, you shop s- at Forever Twenty One. You shop at H and M. You shop at places that enable sweatshops. You shop at places that are proponents of fast fashion, and don't cut everything out of your life. But I think the worst part about being quote unquote woke is that you carry the weight and the burden of knowing you're constantly in betrayal of yourself and your norms and your values and you carry the burden that you cannot do anything or you feel as though you can't do anything like sudan when everything that was going on in sudan i was heartbroken to see people in an african country you know being killed on the streets to see anyone being killed on the streets brings carved up by colonizers carved up by colonizers admittedly so but to see anyone killed on the streets, right, is the most, one of the most heartbreaking things to me. And what is as equally heartbreaking is the fact that I'm learning about it and I cannot do anything about it because I, and that's the moral, that's the moral dilemma I think of academia, mm-hmm. is we learn so much, but we don't do anything. It feels as though we're not doing anything with it. You know what I mean? It feels like we're learning for the sake of learning. And then I wonder, like, is it just better to be ignorant because then my heart wouldn't hurt all the time? I think something really interesting to point out is that Machiavelli, who wrote The Prince, the book about maintaining power. Great book, by the way, guys. Fantastic. Shout out to Machiavelli. (laughs) If you want to sponsor us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) From the grave. From the catacombs. Okay, we know a ghost or two, okay? I'll fuck with a ghost, Victorian or not. Um, Uh... We like Machiavelli was reviled by those in power. Why? Because he took the knowledge of the elites and those in power and he handed it to the masses. He wasn't, the book was written to the prince, but it's a critique of the prince, it's a critique of principalities. It's the it's the manual to revolution. And what's so interesting is when you learn in class about revolutions, you're taught that they're like 
revolution is gruesome. Revolution is difficult. And I think there's always some opportunity cost. There's always some expense to human life. But you're taught of them as these necessary but over aspects of history. The French Revolution was necessary for establishing the idea of the nation state, establishing the idea of like autonomy, but it's over now. We've moved past that. Right. We're civilized now. And I think maybe potentially the moral dilemma. We're going to keep calling it the dilemma because mm-hmm. it is a dilemma. It's also a pickle. It's a pickle. It's, <laughs> it's a cucumber. That shit's a dill, bro. <laughs> but I think part of the moral dilemma is not so much what information you have, right? Mm-hmm. Because we live in the information age and it's so easy to go on Twitter. It's so easy to go on Google. It's so easy to go on Yahoo for most people. It's easy to go on AOL. AOL, if, if you're y'all using, using that. AOL to find our podcast, go ahead and hit unsubscribe. Just kidding, we love you guys, but please, <laughs> we welcome you to the future. Yes, <laughs> but you, you know, the, the information is there. And I don't think that the, the moral challenge is ha- being able to find the information. The challenge is what do you do with that information that you have, yeah. right? And I think that's the issue. And, you know, we're, the, the, this podcast is marketed towards college students, mm-hmm. obviously, most of whom uh, think like us, you know, are in the same circles as us, right? But I think... You know, for example, we go to SJP. You know, Nish and I are heavily involved in SJP and another, a number of other organizations, right? I think we're activists by nature, and I think that makes it difficult for us to empathize with the capitalist. But you need the money behind the pitchforks and knives. You yeah. need the pens writing the articles right. behind the pitchforks and knives. Right. Revolution and change is a very societal thing, yeah. and you need different sectors of society right but i think like i think we're so conditioned to think that this is how things are yeah and we're only gonna let them get worse right and it's we almost check out like someone wants to talk about the like in saudi arabia like the bombing that's allegedly blamed on iran like check out someone wants to talk about like the occupation of kashmir check out Someone wants to talk about student debt in this country. Like, we default to humor and we default to all these coping mechanisms because we know things are bad. And I think at our root, we know we can make things better. And the idea that we can change things is so fundamentally fucking terrifying. It's the most frightening thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we always say a reckoning is coming. Yeah. And a reckoning is coming. But what's scary is if the right reckoning doesn't come, the reckoning that we don't want will come. And it will be just as terrifying as, you know, us not doing anything. You know, what we were talking about with Shiva, again, Shiva, sorry to shout you out. Dude, we love you so much. I know. You just always find your way we'll into our conversation. We'll pay for your Uber to come back here. <laughs> we miss you. But this kind of, this idea that there are people who are activists that aren't, vocally standing on the front lines and that seems so bizarre to us because that's what we know as we activists we have the privilege of being on the front lines we have the privilege of i'm not gonna lose my job if i say this thing i'm not gonna lose the people in my life that matter to me most if i say this thing i like the consequences are 
the stakes aren't as high for us as they have been for a lot of people that have paved the foundation for us to be where we are. I have a question. Yes. For you. If you will entertain me for a second. I will entertain you for every second that you want. <laughs> Do you think that... Ben Shapiro is the guy from the Polar Express? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that you've said that, I'm going to do a quick Google search to figure out if that's actually accurate. Um, ben Shapiro tweeted that I don't believe Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist because no one's described his genitalia. And someone retweeted and said, look in the mirror. Oh, shit. Oh. Twitter always comes with the burns. Twitter really hits deep. Yeah, but Twitter also always comes with... Problematic undertones. This problematic undertones. And do you think that on... What, what is our fix as academics, as students? What is, what is our call to action? That's a hard question. I think our, I think our addiction is empathy. I think we so wholly immerse ourselves and empathize with the pain that we're studying so much so that it comes at the expense of our own identity. How so? I think... So, Kashmir is a really interesting topic because, like, being from Pakistan or India, you have a lot of people from those countries take it nationally. They take a national perspective to it. I was born in Pakistan. I identify as Pakistani. Simultaneously, I don't think the Kashmir conflict is one of nationalism I think it's one of humanitarian loss I think it's one of people who have been crying out since 1948 dear god give us sovereignty and autonomy and people in power saying no that's not convenient to us and I think quick little like historical context there was a clause written into the Indian constitution 370 that said that among other things it said that Kashmiris can only own land or only Kashmiris can own land in Kashmir among other protections for them that was recently scrapped by the leader of the BGP Modi speaking of Modi Mm -hmm. I just want to throw this out there we're posting this today Mm -hmm. Modi is coming to Houston I won't be there so please come to the protest because I can't go please FaceTime me please Print out a photo of me. Just one. <laughs> yes. Modi is coming to Houston. He's coming to, yes. I believe, NRG. Yes. And there's going to be a protest outside. He's coming this Saturday, I believe. Mm-hmm. We can confirm when we post it. We'll, like, update our Twitter as a result. Also, yes, my Twitter, Twitter profile picture is the duck with the knife. And now it has the avatar state on it. Also, I'm so sorry we're both on private. We recently went on private. I went on private for, like, professional reasons. And also... I don't know. I think a lot of the times we feel entitled to other people's information and other people's personal beliefs. And it's really interesting because I was talking to someone today about how, like, she doesn't know how her, like, her professor politically affiliates himself. I think that's really interesting because we ask, like, a series of questions when we meet someone and it kind of corners them into this identity. I think... Yes, I agree with that 100%. And it's also this idea that, like, there's a lot of pressure with having Twitter. There's a lot of pressure with social media. And, and it's we're not o- funny all the time. Yeah. Sometimes we're just sad, okay? Yeah, and sometimes I want to tweet some sad boy shit. 
Dude, Sad Boy Hours really be hitting hard as of late. And like, I don't know, it's just, I needed a break from everything outside of the 25 of you that actually engaged with my Twitter account. <laughs> it's actually just me with 24 other accounts that I made. <laughs> but back to the conversation at hand. You guys, I work at a oh. law firm and I met a Muslim today and I got really excited because um, he said salam to me. And now we're like friends, we're pals, we're comrades in arms. And I fuck with it. Um, but I think it comes back to the question of morality. I think it comes back to the question of like, are we in the right? Are we in the wrong? Are we ethical? And I don't think there's an answer to that. I don't think there's supposed to be an answer. I think human beings are literally in a constant state of evolution and a constant state of like growth and change. And if you're growing, that's good. If you didn't agree with the person that you were six months ago, that's good. But at the same time, like, all of these are, like, abstract nuances. It's all bullshit, quite frankly. And that's okay. That's okay for it to be complicated and intricate. It's okay not to understand where you fall when it comes to Israel and Palestine. Simultaneously, there needs to be... A concrete solution there needs to be a concrete ground for you to rest on and I think that's when it gets really difficult especially as academics because we know we know the nuance that surrounds these situations we know the context and we know both sides a lot of the time and it's really difficult to say I know your house got bombed you're still on the wrong side you can still say you can say that I personally feel that Israel is an apartheid state. Amen. I think it's it's occupying Palestine. It's so troublesome. And it's so painful taking someone's tragedy and rewriting it as an agenda. And I think that's what I want to accuse all academics of. Taking that step back, like locking ourselves away in our towers and saying we're going to write about your pain so we don't have to feel it. <sighs> Beautifully said. She as said always. so much. <laughs> Beautifully said as always. Um, I think one other aspect. So I, I bought this book. I know he reads. Um, <laughs> I bought this book called 52 Things to Talk About with Your Family. Um, Number the, one, your sexuality. The thing, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is... I love my family, but I bought this book for myself. Um, I don't have a family, a, a nuclear family for myself just yet. I do have baby fever, so I'm I mean, stop posting all those baby pics. Yeah, to I mean, I can't handle it. <laughs> but this book, fifty-two things to talk about with your family, and one of the the things to talk about is values, right? And I think values play such an important role in our outlook of these conflicts, an important role in our outlook of just life and this world, right? So for me, for example, I'm in college to get my degree, yes. But at the same time, I'm in college because I know that there are people like me who do not have the privilege to be in this at university, do not have the privilege to learn, or at university, do not have the access that I've been granted. And part of my call to, my personal call to action is to be here in this space 
soak up as much knowledge as I can to take it out of the space and uplift those people who do not have that privilege. And like, for example, my, my, my mission statement for myself that I say at every job interview that I get or is my goal in life is to advance, reform, and lead in excellence by advocating for myself as well as those who are in need of a voice. And like Nish said, you don't have to know where you stand with Israel and Palestine. You don't have to know where you stand with Kashmir. You don't have to know where you stand with Roh- the Rohingya genocide. You don't know, have to, you don't have to be educated or well-educated or know where you stand in regards to the Uyghur Muslims. But what you do need to know, and I hope you guys all know, I'm so emotional is now. that we have a call to action and we have an onus as human beings to be human beings and be humane and to call out inhumane action regardless of where it is. So Nish made the perfect point with Israel and Palestine. There are Israelis who are dying on the street, and I'm sad that Israelis are dying on the street. But the state of Israel, like every other colonial power, like every other governing body that is oppressing people, is in power, and we cannot go off of their metric. The metric that we hold is that when people who are oppressed are being killed, being slaughtered, being dehumanized, we stand with them, at least for me. And I think that that foundation, those values, you know, like the book said, those values, those values matter so much. You don't have to know, but what you do need to know is where you stand as a human being. Do you stand on the side of oppression? Do you stand on the side of silence? Do you stand on the side of of inaction? Or do you stand on the side of being an advocate for life, an advocate for humanity, and an advocate for peace? And I thank you. Uh, I think that matters more than anything is your foundation, your value. And, you know, in academia and being in college, it's so challenging sometimes to remember that, that we're here for other reasons other than just to get, you know, a bachelor's of science. If you're getting a bachelor's of science, by the way, <laughs> good Go luck. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go off. Go off. Go off. But, you know, bachelor's of science or bachelor's of arts. But we're here for every other person, every other voice that cannot be here that doesn't have this access and you know my twitter quote or if you guys follow my twitter quote if you follow my twitter you know my bio at the top says become your ancestors, ancestors wildest, wildest dreams, dreams. become your become your ancestors wildest dreams and for me that is like my calling card people slaved tilled this ground you know the the the, the blood of my ancestors built this country right and my ancestors could not go to college my ancestors were not allowed to read my ancestors were not allowed to write my ancestors would be killed for who they chose to love what spaces they were in or quite frankly for nothing for nothing they're still murdered in the streets for nothing still being killed and my job here is to answer their prayers that's my job and it's like you said earlier that's scary as fuck because it seems like a lot it's not just you you're the expectations of everyone who came before you rides on you 
and it's heartbreaking. And I think one really important thing that I've read recently is that we didn't get rid of plantations, we turned them into prisons. Mm. We didn't get rid of oppression, we just found a way to make it covert. And the worst part about like covert racism, the worst part about quite frankly the south is with a smile on their face they'll rise the con- like they'll raise their confederate flag, they'll put their white supremacy into their books, into their music, into their culture. But they'll still shake your hand. It's covert and it's dangerous. And like Mark Lamont Hill said when he came to campus, white supremacy is a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. White supremacy, this this oppression is a global phenomenon that isn't just impacting people that look like me. Mm-hmm. Isn't just impacting Muslims. But it wins it, because it tells you, that it makes polarizes you. It tells you that that group of people is suffering right now. And they're suffering for reasons X, Y, and Z. But you're not suffering. It almost, it creates elitism within oppression. Mm. Because people of color are suffering. That doesn't mean no one else is suffering. That doesn't mean, I think the suffering Olympics is so common. It's so easy to rank each other's pain. Mm -hmm. And it's dangerous because the only way oppression succeeds is by marginalizing the minorities. Because... The oppressors realize the minute those they oppress rise up will dismantle the system. But what's so beautiful about the system of oppression, and oppression breeds oppression, by the way, when you see, when you see oppressive apparatuses, when you see the United States of America encouraging Mohammed bin Salman, realize that those are not two separate incidents. Those are, that is not neutrality advocating for evil. That is not evil advocating for good. That is oppression advocating for more oppression book plug here there's a book um by a philosopher french philosopher martinique's philosopher Mm -hmm. Uh, his name is franz fanon uh he god your accent is sexy (laughs) if you don't know much about him he uh was born in martinique and for those of you that don't know martinique is an island in the caribbean that uh in many ways mirrors kind of what Puerto Rico is to the United States, Guam is to the United States. It is a French annexed territory. And in that territory, oppression, slavery, killings, the brutal killing of native native people, African slaves was the norm. And he wrote this book called uh, Black Skin, White Masks that talks exactly what Nish is, talks about what Nish is, is mentioning. This idea that Oppression breeds oppression. Oppressed people oppress people. And, you know, even for myself, I always say there are three things that I will never tolerate from someone to criticize or to come at me for my race, my religion, and the way I choose to express myself. Those things are things that I hold dear to my identity. And I think we all have those things that we hold dear to our identity, but sometimes those things that we hold dear to our identity cloud our judgment from seeing when other people outside of those ident- identity markers are oppressed, mm-hmm. right? I'm black. Before anything else, I'm a black person in this country, which is fucked up, right? But it's also an identity that's under threat. Right. True. But just because I'm a black person in this country does not mean that I cannot empathize with the struggle of Palestinian people. Does not mean that I cannot empathize with the struggle of people in Kashmir. It means, if anything, I am closer to their struggle 
then I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I want everyone to realize that we are all in this together. And as Mark Lamont Hill amazingly said. Oh, I was going to quote Troy Bolton. <laughs> we're all in this together. But Mark Lamont Hill very like poignantly said is none of us are free until all of us are free. And what that means is it may take a little bit of detaching from your own identity to realize that there are people in this world outside of those identity markers who are hurting, who are being killed, who are being slaughtered, who are being raped, who are being brainwashed by governments and, 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 and harassed by governments for no other reason than existing. And I think that your silence is always violence. I think when you're silent, you side with the oppressor because it's easy. And I think it's inconvenient as hell to realize that pain is palatable in every person you meet. And quite frankly, some of us are just better at it, at hiding it than others. But I think the people in Palestine, and this is the most common example that I've heard, and I'm going to keep using it because it's like it, when you think about it, it's mind numbing. But the people in Palestine told the people in Ferguson how to deal with tear gas. Why? Because those same weapons of oppression are used against them. Systems of oppression, and I think white supremacy is the fundamental system, overarching system of oppression that must be dismantled for us to even attempt equality. There's this philosopher that I read recently. He's an Eastern philosopher. His name is Ghazali. And... He says this in reference to the philosophers, actually. Um, he would cringe to think that I, like, categorize him as thus. But he says, how stupid must you be to trade one intellectual bondage for another and call it freedom? And I think that's so applicable to us. I think we trade intellectual bondage all the time. I think we trade vernacular. We trade the systems of oppression because one fits better than the other. I think... A graduation gown fits better than handcuffs, but goddamn, they're the same fucking thing because you're enslaved to the same system. Shit. That right there, I have to give you, that was a, woo! That bad boy is a Twitter bio. <laughs> Damn, okay. I think, I mean, yeah. I mean, you you, you, you put it perfectly, I think. I think you're perfect. Oh, Just kidding, I think God is perfect I think humanity is imperfect, but that's okay God is perfect, will forever be perfect Shout out to God <laughs> Shout out to God, you did that <laughs> um, But I think I, I have, I have, a, I have a, a request For everyone listening And we're nowhere near done, I don't think Let's see how many minutes we're at We're at all of the minutes, if we're being honest uh, we're at 42 minutes. We're going to keep talking. Feel free to tune out or just skip ahead. Yeah. But I think I have a, a request for everyone listening. Um, one, get educated. Read and a book. Read an article. Stop pretending to read. Yes. That I realize we're so guilty of, especially AP kids. Oh. Stop <laughs> pretending to read. Stop playing right. the bullshit Olympics. Yes. Stop going after class. <laughs> you know, I didn't even read. Because guess what? You're not fooling the professor. You're not fooling your classmates. What's worse is you're fooling yourself. You're Amen. taking the opportunity for education. And goddamn, I'm so guilty of this. I pretended to read so many books in school. Scarlet Letter. 
I really fucked with the Scarlet Letter, but Lord of the Flies. Oh my! I really <laughs> fucked with Lord of the Flies. Um, what was that one? Tale of Two Cities. Yes. Never yes. read that shit. Sound in the Fury. Sorry, fuck never that read Les Mis. I will continue to pretend that I read that one because <laughs> Anne Hathaway did a damn good job. Um, but and I'm so guilty of this. And I realized the past few semesters the reason I'm constantly dealing with moral quant like with moral quandaries is because I'm reading. Is because for the first time I'm saying, you know what, like I'm gonna take this time and I'm gonna educate myself and I'm gonna walk away with it something better and something bigger than I was before. Mm-hmm. And I one, I wanna encourage you guys to do that. Stop pretending. You're copping out of education. A lot of people don't have the opportunity to get that education in the first place. I'm going to throw in a little bit of guilt because I deserve that guilt. I wish I could go back into high school and beat myself with the couch in the right. Retweet. Retweet. So read. Anyway, going back to Caden's humble request. So first, get educated. Read. Stop looking at the Twitter headline of the article. Mm -hmm. Retweeting that shit. I'm even guilty of this sometimes. Read the article and see what the article says. The second thing, question. Ask questions. Questions matter. You know, so much of what we do is based off of what we hear, right? And it's so easy to form an opinion based off of someone else's opinion when it's the first opinion you've heard. Ask questions. Be vigilant in asking questions. Skepticism is beautiful and it's important. Yes. If you are not skeptical when someone is speaking about what agenda they are serving, about what impression they are creating, and how your opinion is relevant to them, then you're not listening. You're being indoctrinated. And thirdly, ask yourself, really, once you do have that information, once you do have the knowledge, what can you do with it? It's way easier said than done. But really ask yourself, what can I do with the information that I have on this particular subject? Even if you're a STEM major, oh my God, even if you're a STEM major, you're learning about how cancer cells and and HIV and, and, and you know these horrible, horrible diseases that are affecting people exist and, and are able to take lives. Ask yourself what you can do with it. Obviously, you're not going to solve the, the, the cure for cancer in college. I mean, if you do, mashallah, to you. you did that. But ask yourself, what can I do? Can I intern with someone? Can I, can I, I don't know, give a TED Talk? <laughs> I like, but really ask yourself what it is that you can do with the information that you have. Because listen to this. Oh, and there's one, one more thing, the fourth thing. Ask yourself how you can disseminate that information to people who do not have the privilege of learning it the same way that you did. It's not always Twitter. It is not always Twitter. And it is not always coffee shops because we are so prone to confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. We like surrounding ourselves with people that are also as equally informed as we are. But guess what? When you're all reading the same CNN article, you're forgetting an entire population of people that's being exterminated. Exactly. And if you kind of feel ashamed because you didn't know about something, good take that shame and channel it into productivity take it into education and awareness yes but there's different ways to talk to people if you like someone's shirt tell them you like it if you don't know what revolutionary take their button is advocating for ask them yeah i guarantee you people who wear activism on their sleeve they want to tell you yeah 
And I think a big reason I went on private on Twitter was I kind of felt this pressure to be that Twitter activist, right? Because that's like the persona I've kind of cultivated for myself Same. that I would disseminate education. And I found myself like pressured to hit the retweet button because the headline was important. Amen. Yep. Exactly. And thinking to myself, but I know about the conflict in Kashmir. I don't have to read this article because the headline is enough for me. One, I don't know if I'm disseminating inaccurate information and two it's not for the purpose of education it's the pressure of like complying with this person you've carved out for yourself and this i think the pressure of everyone else's gaze and everyone else's perception of you is so heavy that sometimes we are crushed underneath Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and it's easy it is easy to fall victim to archetyping yourself Mm -hmm. so that's another thing like shower talks have that conversation with yourself i had an act tutor um who was this physicist and he was brutal this man would hit me if i got something wrong you know i I actually like hard coaching and maybe Mm -hmm. it'd be it's a product of like how I was raised. My parent or my dad was a hard coach and you know, but he, you know, he was a very tough coach. Mm -hmm. And one thing that he, did he make a time machine at any point? (laughs) You reenacting the plot of back to the future. He does. He does have an equation named after him. Yes. That's hot. He's a badass. But one thing I did take away from all of the lessons that we had was one time we were doing some prep for the English section and I found myself doing this thing of rote memorization mm-hmm. where I would just respond with the textbook answer. And one time he told me, stop giving me the textbook answer. Anyone who's actually learned can give you the answer in simple terms. From simple terms all the way to these very complex abstract ideas, right? And they will be able to explain it in the same detail just different words and that's what that fourth call to action is if you have this information and we all have this information we know what's going on we're being taught every day what's going on in the world figure out how you can give that information to someone in a way that makes sense for that particular individual and not for the pie in the sky academics stop speaking from your tower who use pontificate like I use shit (laughs) I mean we all know you guys know the word extrapolate stop fucking saying that (laughs) shit stop I'm over it um but don't stop using the Oxford comma (laughs) okay 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 if you guys didn't know Nish is a very avid opponent of avid adversary of the Oxford comma (laughs) am I right ladies but no in all seriousness Figure out how you can be an activist, not only in your actions, but your words matter. Because the people who are being affected need to know about these things that we're learning. Not just... Let me give you another example. I'm sorry if I'm giving too many examples, guys. I think it's a really good way to make concrete understanding. Yes. W.E.B. Du Bois. If you don't know who W.E.B. Du Bois is, academic first black man in the United States to graduate with a PhD from Harvard University uh, was criticized heavily by large swaths of the black community because 
he only spoke to academics. Mm -hmm. Everything that he said made sense, but only to academics. His legacy, although he is like uplifted as a leader of the black liberation movement, his legacy is marred simply because his message could not get out to the masses. On the other hand, Mark- but look at who upholds his legacy. Look at the people that we choose and tie to certain communities. I think it's so interesting that the radical Malcolm X will always be tied to the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And the peaceful Malcolm X will always be tied to the Sunni majority. More importantly, the peaceful Malcolm X is the activist. The radical Malcolm X is the terrorist. Exactly. We love dichotomy, especially when it serves the agenda of the oppressor. Say it again for the people in the back. But there's also this... Marcus Garvey is another example. Marcus Garvey was not American. Mm -hmm. Literally, he had no stake in what was going on in America. He was from Jamaica. He came to the United States and he realized, oh shit, people here are being treated like crap. Black people. And he was from Jamaica. If you don't know, Jamaica at that time was an extremely racist country. The, the, The lot of the Caribbean was the pinnacle of white supremacy. He came to America and he started giving lectures. He started speaking. He started having conversations with real people about what it was that was affecting them. And he was able, in my opinion, to get through to more people than W.E.B. Du Bois, despite W.E.B. Du Bois having a PhD from Harvard. Because Marcus Garvey knew how to talk to people and he knew how to disseminate information to people in a way that people could understand. They were saying the same thing. Black people need to be free. This country is a country built on the backs of slaves and with the, the, the ground is soaked with the blood of Native Americans and we must destroy white supremacy. But they said it in two different ways and because of that, their legacy are two different legacies. And I think that that's an important thing to take away from that is that you can only do so much if the only people you speak to are the people in your circles. Mm -hmm. If the only people you speak to are the people who speak like you, think like you, talk like you, and have the same privileges as you. So we urge you, from Inconvenient Truths... To be inconvenient. To... And your language is so impactful. When you're talking about a conflict that's really an ethnic cleansing, call it an ethnic cleansing, call it a genocide, call it an occupation... Because the English language is by no means innocent, nor is it neutral. It is impactful. It is a privilege to speak this language. It is also the language that embodies a great deal of oppression. We urge you to be inconvenient, to make people uncomfortable, to make yourself uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And to constantly check yourself. And check us too. If we're being problematic, let us know. We want to be better for you guys. If we are speaking in a way that is uncomfortable or does not appeal to you or doesn't make sense to you, then let us know. If we can help you in any way, let us know. But you should be uncomfortable. You should be always in the process of changing. We're going to cut it off before the hour mark. We don't think we deserve an hour of your time just yet, but we're going to get there. Don't worry. We're going to have some, like, long features. Um, we love you guys. We hope you guys all love each other. and spread. You matter love. to us. You matter to us. And we don't even know some of you guys' faces. If you listen to the podcast, seriously, 
please DM us. Please text us if you have our numbers because we want to know who we're talking to and we want to be able to build connections with you guys. And if you guys have suggestions, we are always open to suggestions. We've gotten a couple. We haven't had a chance to flesh out an idea. And you guys, if we're infrequently putting these out, it's because we want genuine content. We actually recorded an episode a couple of days ago and it just wasn't real and it wasn't authentic and it wasn't the two of us. And so we couldn't publish it because we don't want to be frequent, routine, and insincere. I would much rather us have these conversations constantly and then share what's fleshed out, what makes the most sense, what we're most comfortable sharing and have us like post every Monday at 6 a.m. Also, neither of us are awake at 6 a.m. And I lied to my boss about the fact that I wake up at 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> now he texts me at 6 a.m. If you're listening, I lied. <laughs> I don't go on runs in the morning. But you guys are all great. And you're going to do great things. Just if we got Be Inconvenient written on a hat, would you guys buy it? Or a button. Or both. Por no los dos? <laughs> but uh, we hope... You guys have a good one. Stay dry. Stay safe. Don't stay dry in conversation, just physically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is us. Be careful out there. And tell someone else to be careful out there. (laughs) (laughs) Read a book. Read an article. Be sincere. Be gentle on yourself. You don't always have to be your worst critic. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace. In the Middle East. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.